Uh, dude, Russ, I have been trying to reorder the alphabet so that it's a little bit more logical, but I am completely blanking on the second to last letter. Why? I don't know. I think I need some more coffee. I thought you switched to <laughs> decaf. <laughs> <laughs> This is Getting Down and Wordy with Russell and Hannah. I am Russell. I am Hannah. And, and I'm also on the podcast. <laughs> and it's a podcast. It fit as well. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Previously known as Pop Etymology. Uh, Pop. Etymology. Etymology, yes. That, that's the other so the important thing. We decided as a... Uh, uh, podcast about words. We should try to be at least a little clever in the naming of our own podcast. <laughs> at least Somewhat have some wordplay. <laughs> punny, if you will. <laughs> yeah, new new podcast name. Who dis? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so, <laughs> so uh, well, I'll let you go. So, what do we? generally do yeah yeah so what do we do on this podcast with this new fancy name russell oh (laughs) you're asking me Mm. the balls in my yeah i'm mixing it up we're mixing Uh everything Uh up Uh well i'm no uh, longer the one being quizzed so we take a a song that's the getting down part and then we Mm -hmm. consider some linguistic or english language um topic that has some tangential relation to that song that's the wordy part and what song did we pick this week this week we picked a b c d f u by gail i think you actually left you missed a letter there a b c d e f u uh-huh. sorry yeah, yeah no yeah. i was by gail and, and gail her name seems to be in all caps so i guess you're supposed to kind of shout it a little bit like gail, gail. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like you're looking for her <laughs> 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 yeah, Which, this song. Uh, this is this is actually kind of like a fun song. It had some real Olivia Rodrigo vibes, I think. Yeah, honestly, every time I see it, I picture Pink singing it. I I know it doesn't really? even really sound that much like Pink. It just has that kind of like girl power attitude mm-hmm. feel to it. It seems like it should be a song for Pink, you know. Which I mean, I get it because Pink back in her day, she was kind of a little bit about toxic. Uh, ex-behavior, like breaking into your ex's house and baking a cake and smearing it all over your friends. Ouch, back in her day, jeez. I mean, back in, like, okay, the aughts, uh, thereabouts, when, is, when Pink was, is like... Her day, is her day over? I mean, she did that cover of that, uh, Greatest Showman song, what, what, that's by a depressingly long time ago, too, isn't it? That's, like, five years ago or Greatest something. Greatest Showman now, was, it? like, 80 years ago. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I I love Pink and she's still doing a really good uh oh, this is actually kind of a fun um aside that we haven't talked about yet. You guys know Wordle, the uh pop phenomenon uh that everybody's been playing where <laughs> you think, guess. I think it's safe to say everyone knows Wordle. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's also spurred off like 
8,000 uh, spinoffs. Um, I know that my family and I all have a group chat uh, where we do, like, a bunch of the spinoffs. And one of the ones that we do is Hurdle, which I'm horrible at. It uh, gives you, like, 16 seconds of an intro to a song, and you have five guesses to guess it. But today's was pink. It was a really no. nice sort of, like, throwback. What an incredible... Again, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm not that old, Hannah. <laughs> the music of my youth is still relevant. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend plays one about geography. I, I think maybe it's called World or something. World, it's very hard to say. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the ones that we do. I love World. I don't like any of those things. I, I feel like I, I have so many things to do already. I just feel like it's like another job to have to play a game every day. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a kind of a Grinch, I think, honestly. Well, I like that it's like something on the to-do list that I can knock off in like yeah, 10 kind seconds. Of feel good about, like you've somehow done something like a brain training or something. Absolutely. I it makes me feel like my brain isn't shrinking. Hannah, can I tell you my uh my alternate opener that I thought of just randomly? It's very bad. Yes, though. tell me. Oh my gosh. Okay. okay, here it goes. Why does A always bring B when A goes raving? Hmm. Why? Because B C D E. Yeah, I told you it was bad. Uh... It's like so B sees the E, the ecstasy when they go raving, oh. so that he knows where it is. So. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> there I go. <laughs> it's like I'm a it's like I'm a five year old that just told his teacher a joke in class. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which I was googling um I was googling alphabet jokes just for the opener for inspiration and mm -hmm. I forgot the one that I told in fifth grade, which is uh, like all the time. Um, which is uh teacher, can I go to the bathroom? Sure, but first you have to recite the alphabet, okay? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, Q, R, X, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. And then the teacher says, uh, okay, but uh, where's the P? Running down my legs! Ah, that's off-putting. <laughs> I know, it's horrible, which is why I didn't end up going with it, but I told it, like, constantly in fifth grade. I was a gross fifth grader. You know what I just thought about? It's not related to what you just said at all. I swear I was listening. But, you know, um, in I, I have a friend in Poland who, when they do the alphabet song, they, how to explain it, they cut it differently. Like, uh, you know how we have this, like, uh, LMNOP part? Yeah. There's, there's kind of a break there. It's like the, the letters aren't put onto the same notes in the same way. If you understand what I mean, it's like the rhythm is slightly different, but it, it's very hard to even hold it in your mind because this alphabet song is so like dominating, you know, uh, that mm -hmm. I can't even explain to you anymore what was the difference. It's, it's like it's left my head. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. I wonder, I, I did uh, look into it a little bit because I was kind of curious. Um, like when I was in Hebrew school, when uh, I was a kid, uh, we had the the Aleph Bet where we would learn about the Hebrew letters. Um, and it was a, basically a, a spinoff of the ABC song. 
Um, I was wondering if Cyrillic has a similar uh, song. Do they have a song they sing? I yeah. don't know. I bet they do. I bet even mm-hmm. it's the same one, probably. I'll we'll bet to, they do. I'll have to ask. I'll have to ask. I have some uh, Russian and Ukrainian friends, so I'll see mm. what they say about it. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And then does China just have like a like a two-hour song where they sing every <laughs> Chinese character? <laughs> I'm sure Arabic must as well, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll, a, we'll, we'll find out. Good a, we'll find out. Yeah, that's uh, as good we, a segue if, as we can find, probably. If we ever, different... if we're ever getting e- uh, listeners, they should email us and tell us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, listeners, I, I, if you are listening to this like five years in the future, and this is like a throwback, we still want to hear you sing your alphabet songs. So yeah, go ahead by, and just email us. By then. Pink will probably just be like dust, just scattered into the wind. She'll be so old and irrelevant. Pink will be rose. Five years she from now, fully. <laughs> yeah, she'll uh, be rose. <laughs> She's <yeah>. like a. <laughs> she'll have achieved her final form. <laughs> <laughs> the wine mom form. <laughs> so, so let me deflect your segue and just say. So this song, uh, of course, performed by Gail. The producer is someone named mm-hmm. Pete Nappy. There's three writers credited on the song. Uh, David Bruce Pittenger, I suppose. Sarah Davis, much easier to say. And Taylor Gail Rutherford, which we can presume is the, the Gail who's performing it. Uh, one other funny thing I saw. She, you know, I, went, I go to these lyrics websites sometimes to see if they'll have any kind of information about the song, because sometimes they'll say who wrote it and stuff like that. And Gail herself had commented on this, like, lyric posting site, and one of the things she said was, <laughs> she she said, like, we started out with the idea of having the alphabet in a song, and then we just really <laughs> want to, like, kick it up a notch somehow. And this, <laughs> this this idea that they started, they just knew they wanted to sing the alphabet somehow. <laughs> and then they were like, you know, what can we put in there to really spice it up? I don't know, like, cussing. <laughs> That'll help. I love that so much because in my mind, like, uh, Gail was Taylor Gail uh, Rutherford was born in 2004, which to me is entirely too recent. She's 17 years old. She's a baby. Like, yeah, I think uh, Pink was already like retired. When she was <laughs> <laughs> in 2004, Pink had already come out with her best work. Yeah, um, I, I generally think about things as. Uh, BP before pink and, and AP after pink. <laughs> Dinosaurs before pink. We are in the <laughs> DP era, the during yeah. pink. <laughs> during pink. That was like deep <laughs> pink or something. <laughs> so we have an internet thing. But yeah, no, she like I totally. Uh, she's she's fully Gen Z. She's fully like a baby child, and I love that her inspiration is the ABCs. It's kind of it's sort of uh, wholesome in like a if Teletubbies said fuck you kind of way. <laughs> sure, yeah. And you know, for me, like I, I don't have any strong feelings about this song. I, I think it's fine. But I will say, like immediately when I heard it, I thought, okay, we should do a podcast about that because oh, yeah? <laughs> this is my connection to the song. Because I just thought, like, okay, she's singing about the alphabet. We haven't talked about the alphabet yet. That'll be mm-hmm. a good a good episode, you know. I mean, if we're going to keep on doing TikTok songs, then I'm going to have to learn how to do a TikTok. 
Is this a TikTok song? It has been uh, used on TikTok very, very frequently. Or so I've been told. Yeah, so it's an interesting. Witnessed. It's interesting, yeah. I, I was reading, uh, you know, talking about the uh, likely changes, trends, and stuff, and they were talking about TikTok's effect on music, and their argument, I think it was a Times article or something, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I like to make a half-hearted effort to actually cite things in this podcast, <laughs> but I don't remember what it was. But um, they were saying that because of TikTok, songs will become more kind of repetitive, like kind of like mm-hmm. rather than having, you know, a bridge, a chorus, an intro, an outro, whatever, songs now tend to be more like you just get in, you do the same thing throughout because they're just going to take an excerpt anyway. You know, so you want to give them a it. consistent thing that they can cut from, you know. Um, okay. Which is an interesting idea. For me, I, I find I like this kind of like droning, um, unchanging music anyway. I like this kind of feeling of uh, endlessness that it has, you know. I, I don't really get that feeling so much from this song. I, I feel this song is a bit more classic in its progression. But I, I don't know. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know enough about music to really assess those kinds of things you know well it's a good thing you've got a music podcast (laughs) yeah i know right hopefully i'll (laughs) learn something about it one day (laughs) i do however i do fully like i i've never dated i don't do the whole dating thing so i don't know how um bitter you can be about your ex-boyfriend but i fully am on board with fuck everybody except for your dog yeah sure yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't remember ever being mad at a dog, particularly. So so I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on the topic of alphabets, yeah, you know, I I guess the first question is kind of uh well, you know, first statement we should say is we're talking about the alphabet as the linguistic topic today, mm-hmm. uh, which is I guess pretty obvious. Uh, but what makes something an alphabet? Ooh, what does make something an alphabet? So, uh, uh, there are a couple of different um, writing systems uh, mm-hmm. uh, that are narrowed down into three categories. You've got your logographic category, which is each symbol is a whole word, such as uh, modern Chinese or kanji. Um, you also have your syllabaric uh, systems, which each symbol represents a, a syllable. Um, such as the Cherokee writing system, Japanese kana, or the Korean writing system. The alphabetic writing system is a, is a system where every symbol represents a single sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in English, that is uh, 26 letters for about 40 phonemes. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And uh, each phoneme is uh, represented by either a full letter or a combination of two letters or... Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever, but it is uh, the most, I would say, universal writing system because it's mm-hmm. so uh, flexible. You can use uh, all of these letters, uh, uh, you can use all of these symbols to represent virtually every sound that the human mouth can make or mm-hmm. it, the human mouth makes in that particular language. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a good thing about a phonemic language based on phonetics is that you can uh write it and use it to describe any word from any language assuming that there's a letter or a close enough letter to make those um 
to make the sound of the word or something close to it. Obviously, some languages have sounds that other languages don't. I mean, the first one that just jumps to mind is, you know, some languages have this kind of like throat, like pharyngeal uh, sound or something. Mm -hmm. English, which have the softer with the H, like a ha. But, you know, sometimes this can be problematic. I mean, I think about like uh, how Beijing, uh, the earlier spelling, like looked like Peking. And so people just said Peking, but it was just, you know, they they made their uh, attempt to write it in a way that uh, English speakers would understand. They right. it wasn't that successful. I mean, uh, it's not necessarily their fault. There's a. Uh, Probably lots of other languages where the P makes something a bit more like a ba sound. The K letter mm-hmm. makes something a bit more like a ja. Who knows? Absolutely. Um, but there, there is one, there is one other category as far as you know, um, writing systems go. And actually, it's mostly just put in with alphabets. But it's a useful distinction to notice. Uh, this is called abjads, and abjads are when you have just the consonants, right? So you have the phonetics and the consonants. You don't bother to make a letter for your vowel. Gotcha. So like in Hebrew or in Arabic. Exactly. In Hebrew and Arabic, uh, the vowels are, uh, if they're even included in the writing system, and they're usually not in the more uh, traditional Hebrew, at least in my, uh, to my knowledge, um, the modern Hebrew uh, indicates the vowels with the tiny symbols that they modify the uh consonants with exactly almost looks like accent marks to our our eyes i would guess uh hebrew i hebrew uh arabic does the same and i don't know how and when exactly this came about in arabic and i also know that a lot of times it's just left out like if you're writing it by hand uh or even if you're typing it whatever just because you know it's just like in english you can if you want to abbreviate something just pull out the vowels and usually people still know what you what you mean like mgmt for management or something you know Mm, yeah same with arabic or or hebrew if if you don't bother to put the little accent marks or the vowels then people generally still understand but with if it has the accents these are sometimes called like a imperfect uh, or half abjad because technically it should have nothing um (laughs) The interesting thing when it when you talk about writing systems, the logographic, syllabary, abjad, alphabet, etc., is you can also just kind of divide them into those categories by the number of letters, quote unquote, or glyphs, because uh, letters tend to imply that it's an alphabet. Um, because it's just kind of how it tends to work out. Like for instance, with an alphabet, the human mouth, let's say, and the human ear can make and distinguish maybe up to 30 sounds. There's not a lot more that we can do with our mouth that we might need to make a sound for. Uh, So generally, if it has a little bit close to 30, between 25 and 30, you can pretty much assume it'll be an alphabet. Uh, Mm -hmm. If it's got around 20, you can pretty much assume it's an abjad. Uh, Syllabary, like, uh, as you said, Japanese and Korean, Japanese kana, because I know Japanese has some different writing systems. Right. Uh, between 50 and 500. And uh, logographic, oh. these uh, like Chinese, Mandarin Chinese or hieroglyphics, uh, 10,000 plus. Yeah, that sounds about right. Which even that's pretty interesting to think, okay, you, 
there there must be about 10,000 things that you have to name, you know? And of course, lots of words can do double duty, I suppose, or triple or whatever, depending on context. But you need at least that many to not have some confusion, you know, between them. It's what makes Chinese a five-year language as opposed to, like, I think Spanish is like a two-year language. I wish. <laughs> I've been learning. <laughs> I've been learning uh, Spanish since when pink was still popular. <laughs> I don't know if it's getting more funny or less funny. Running jokes are supposed to get funnier in time, but I don't know. You know what I love about time. pink is that uh, she actually has a logograph in her name. How so? Uh, she uh, uses an exclamation point instead of an I. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, uh, stylistically. Or at least she did back in the day. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to Google that. I might be talking out of my asshole. Another <laughs> thing we should probably distinct, uh, probably clarify is that, of course, you know, alphabets, uh, ideally, each letter should make a sound. So you should have this one-to-one uh, connection between sound and letter you know but obviously it's not the case in english we have for instance a g can make both a guh and a j sound mm -hmm. all of the vowels do at least double duty right so an a can make an a or an a sound an e can make an e or an e sound etc um so it doesn't quite work out i mean i think most languages are pretty close to one sound per one letter Mm -hmm. But I, I think very few of them actually have it completely 100% letter, sound, letter, sound, you know? Yeah, yeah, that would be very um, succinct. Yeah, it, it would be ideal. And I, I think the reason why it doesn't happen is just because, essentially, we're all using the same alphabet, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it was... According to historians, it was invented just once. And so every alphabet today comes from that one innovation. And so it's to me, I was thinking about how this is going to sound psychotic, but I remember one time uh, I was taking a test and, uh, you know, it's one of these matching, right? And there mm -hmm. were over 26 uh, answers, over 26 options, you know? So she got all the way to Z. And, you know, she could have just invented a new letter, right? Uh, but yeah. she didn't. She just put, like, AA, BB, you know. So she just doubled it, you know. Which actually is how we got W, funny enough, funnily enough. Okay. But, um, so, you know, you can, you can kind of get the sense that in the moment, you know, you're not going to try to revolutionize the whole system. How would you get everybody on board to accept this mm -hmm. new letter? You'll probably just use what's already there, what you already have. And this seems to be what generally happens with um alphabets as well you know they say okay these are the letters we've got um i guess we'll use this one for these two sounds because mm -hmm. they're you know pretty similar or not too easy to mix up or, or something like that you know and i don't know how familiar you are with the ipa the international phonetic alphabet not uh, at all are... I, i've always wanted to oh. get better acquainted with it but no i i don't have a lot of uh mm. knowledge about it so, uh, well, English has about uh, 40 phonemes. Um, mm -hmm. Fascinating. And that it comprises like virtually every sound that uh, an English speaker makes with their mouth while speaking English. Um, the International Phonetic Alphabet uh, is a collection of 80 characters for about 100 phonemes. 
mm-hmm. um, or about 80 phonemes, sorry. Each uh, character represents, like, a full phoneme. Um, so it's even uh, characters that and symbols and sounds that uh, we are unfamiliar with and are probably even incapable of making without some serious training. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, as you said, the uh, ha, 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 uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, a sound that now you can make in uh, Hebrew. It's one of the, um, and it's a common phoneme in Arabic, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Semitic languages. But a lot of uh, native English speakers that don't have uh, a background in Semitic languages just have a lot of trouble with. Uh, and there's a couple of phonemes in the International Phonetic Alphabet that I'm absolutely incapable of doing, uh, such as um, there's a phoneme in a lot of African languages that sounds like a click, um, and I cannot do that. And I cannot roll my R's either. Like Me uh, too. In Spanish. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I've never been able to do it to do the, the road over the trill R. Do you think, yeah, we just talked about onomatopoeias. Do you think we could get by uh, just saying click instead of making the literal sound? I don't know. That sounds, uh, that sounds like risky business. Do you think it'd be offensive somehow? I don't, well, it would depend. I know that it's a phoneme in, uh, in full words, and I've heard it used in uh, names, um, but, like... I'm not sure about that. Hey, listeners, uh, let us know what we what we can uh, uh, do. Do we have to learn how to make the click sound with our um, entire mouths, or uh, can we just substitute it for an onomatopoeia? I think you're really uh, very optimistic about the breadth of our listener base. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking about uh, uh, in five years' time after we've become completely famous. And people are going sure. back into the... Right, it's like this like dystopian future, like Bill and Ted, mm-hmm. where our podcast is the only entertainment that anyone has, and it's all... Oh, everyone, not the only entertainment, their own, but surely... Their whole culture like... around it. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? No. No, that sounds <laughs> horrible. So, so, you're saying that 80 phonemes should be more or less all of the sounds that a significant portion of people make. Yeah, so that's like more or less the whole range of human uh, mouth noises. Yes, human mouth noises. That should be a good uh, podcast name, too. That would have been, yeah. Let's let's, let's start over. Human mouth noises. Yeah, we've got got all these other podcast names that just we just had to throw in the trash. Like, I'm still so uh, heartbroken that we don't have a way to use... uh, uh, what was it? It's not just a phrase, Mom. <laughs> oh, I love that one. I also really, really liked MC Grammar. MC Grammar is great, but I think that's a totally different thing. You know, that's that seems like a <laughs> seems like a rapper, like a rapping teacher that teaches children about grammar. I think. Oh you know? man. Which we are not, unfortunately. Would be awesome no. if we were. Way better. Uh, way better thing to do with our lives than a podcast, but. <laughs> so um you know as we were saying so we now we know there are about 80 possible phonemes you know most languages mm-hmm. seem to use maybe i don't know anywhere from 20 to 40 perhaps mm-hmm. uh maybe 45 or something you know it seems like oftentimes languages with some difficult uh 
um, you know, pronunciation that we don't have in English, they also are missing some pronunciation that we have in English, you know, mm -hmm. often like the, the TH, like the th sound or something, you know. So this, this original alphabet that, that we all are, are drawing from, uh, it actually came from the second millennium BCE. Uh, it was originally thought to be around 1700. Later, they pushed it back to like 1900 uh, in Ooh, Egypt. That is old. So, That's yeah, older than pink. Old. <laughs> now it's funny again okay uh, so, <laughs> i don't understand comedy uh so uh this of course in egypt they use hieroglyphics there's as we mm -hmm. just saw hieroglyphics should be a system of around ten thousand or something symbols uh very difficult mm -hmm. to learn obviously uh but the laboring class in egypt uh, they were generally not so literate, of course. Um, and, you know, they may have been slaves. They may have been just workers. Uh, they may have been Egyptian citizens themselves. I'm sure they didn't mm -hmm. have quite so much of a concept of citizenship in the same way we do. And they may have been some mix of the people from surrounding areas. Uh, mm -hmm. for, for Maybe it's very obvious to you and everyone else, but for me, important to clarify, when we say Semitic, uh, people in Semitic languages here, we don't mean Jewish. Uh, we just mean generally the people from that uh, Middle Eastern, uh, North yeah, African, the Fertile Crescent, South Asian, Fertile Crescent area, right? So this this includes many different people or uh, became many different people over time. Aramaic mm -hmm. language, Phoenician language, Hebrew, of course, itself too, etc. So this is a pretty big umbrella term to say Semitic language or Semitic people. So you can't really take a lot from that. We just know mm -hmm. from the evidence available, this seemed to be something that developed for workers for these practical purposes of, you know, making notes about things, communicating things to themselves. And the way they made it was they took uh, a hieroglyph that had, let's say, uh, a B sound, like a B sound and that hieroglyph was bet and this Ooh. word bet uh meant house and so they said really? okay we're just going to use this as the buh for us and that'll be good we got a buh and so they took one of these for each of the quote-unquote letters and these became their letters right uh so the one for a aleph which seems to be still how it's pronounced mm -hmm. in, in the hebrew language as well uh this was their word for ox so when we say alphabet, we actually are saying like ox house for some reason. Who knows why? Huh. You know, that's that's extremely interesting. Um, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense that that like the uh, it, you would take really important parts of that culture and make that the um, the a representative but it's sort of like um we're doing the opposite when we talk about like military uh alphabets uh mm -hmm. like instead of uh abc we're talking um what is it alpha uh beta charlie yeah um, something like that i can never remember them all but yeah some something along those lines yeah oh well, yeah, I mean, and Charlie essentially, is hardly the most important thing in anybody's. Well, I mean, it's it, it's not a it's not a one to one, 
But uh, it's definitely interesting that uh, we went back and uh, in order to make the al- alphabet like more legible, that we instead substituted full words. Yeah, and you know the the thing about this military alphabet, I'm sure it has some name, but I don't know. Uh, is of course they're they're taking the alphabet and they're making it again such that each letter letter quote unquote uh starts with its sound right so you've got mm-hmm. uh whiskey for the w again you've got um b is i guess beta i don't know charlie for c etc um Tango, and this is something Fox that's Trot. called yeah this is something that's called uh acrophonic right Ooh. and so actually of course obviously this original semitic one uh, would have been acrophonic as well because they they mm-hmm. picked words that started with the sound of uh, what they were going to use those to talk about. And one one point I didn't mention yet is that of course they're they were using these alphabets generally to communicate in their own local dialect rather than in the you know major Egyptian dialect. So they were taking the words. Of course, the words were no good to them because they had different words using the sound, and then using those sounds, putting them together to make their words. Um, this acrophonic nature, where, you know, every letter makes its sound, like, lots of ours still do, right? B does, B, D does, mm-hmm. D, etc., which I mean make the sound in the front, right? So F doesn't make it in the front. If it did, we'd have a sound like F instead. F it did. <laughs> and so... You know, it's very useful, which is why with the military, of course, they, they made up their own acrophonic because it's much mm-hmm. easier to understand when you do it that way, you know. That makes sense. It's de- definitely quicker to say whiskey than it is to say W. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, most of this came about, and you again, you can see it very clearly in W, with these, like, repurposing and adapting of the alphabet. Mm-hmm. For a different language, right? So W starts with a duh sound, obviously, because double is a word for mm-hmm. two times, and W is like two U's, which I, I guess everyone probably knows. Um, interestingly, this uh, W came about in the uh, medieval times, let's say. So, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, Roman, uh, the Roman Latin alphabet actually spread with Christianity as it got up to this Anglo Saxon uh, British area. Uh, there was a runic symbol called when, which made when, sorry, which made the W sound. But the problem with when was it looks a lot like a P. It's like it, it has the down of a P. It goes over. I don't know why I'm miming this to you as if everyone can hear me mime it. It <laughs> has the hump on top, format. but it doesn't close its loop at the top. It closes its loop down down at the bottom, almost like if you were to cut a heart. Not a real heart. Cut a cut a symbol of a heart. <laughs> so good at painting a vivid picture. Uh, cut a symbol of a heart in half. That would look kind of like when you know. Mm-hmm. So it was too hard to tell it apart from P. Uh, we already had many words and a lot of this mixing between a V and a U and a W and a V and an A sound in words. So it it became a very good candidate to just make a a W there and just show that this made a W. You know. Oh, okay. And so uh, it was largely uh, discontinued because it was uh, so visually similar to P? Well, I, I think it never really made it in so much mm-hmm. in the first place. You know, I'm sure there's some people using it here and there, uh, mm-hmm. but it never, 
it never had this widespread use in the in the Latin alphabet, you know. So why do you think? Uh, and I'm I'm uh, we we both kind of uh, looked at the um, the letters uh, that uh, did not so much make the cut into the alphabet. Um, I have two that represent very similar phonemes: um, a thorn and f. Um, why do you think we forsook both of them in order to just do th? I I think it might have oftentimes an influence from just which letters are kind of the most international, you know. Because mm-hmm. I I would say probably printing press influences these kinds of things a lot, you know, because uh, you want to manufacture plates that are going to be used by people, bought by different people in different places. Europe, Europe, even in the 1600s, was a fairly, you know, worldly place where people might distribute or uh, move or, you know, communicate across countries. So m- my guess would be the letters that remain are the ones that were generally used by lots of different uh, countries. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas a thorn, this is a great example, this th and the sound, you know, it's actually not in that many languages, uh, especially not the Romance languages, you know. I I think, I Mm. mean, can you tell me, is it in German? Do you have like a the in German? Um, no. uh, Well, I mean, hang on. Huh. I cannot think of a German word that uh, uh, has a the sound. It's Mm. uh, usually like a. Wow, I I can't, not off the top of my head. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so possibly not. I mean, of course, it's always hard to prove a negative. Uh, there mm-hmm. might be some one in there somewhere, but I I think for that reason, you know, a lot of these that are kind of peculiar to a particular language, in this case, English, of course, because we're talking about the English ones, they kind of go away. You know. Well, earlier in this podcast, we did talk about um uh. The Icelandic band Dathi Freyr, uh, yeah. they do use an F in their uh, in his uh, name. An F. An F. Uh, the um, uh, the sort of looks like a D, but with a slash through it. Ah, I didn't get that. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, F. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. It's a very yeah. good point. Yeah. So Icelandic is one of those uh, special languages. Yeah, very special language. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of different um, explanations for it. Um, but I think that just as easily you could say, you know, why did we get the ones that we got, you know? Um, <laughs> but so, okay, so we've talked about eth and thorn, uh, which we should explicitly say, you know, eth, this, uh, it's, it, I, I think one reason it might disappeared is it just sounds too much like F when you try to say the name of it, you know? That's true. Um, so this is our, our voiced TH sound, like a the sound is in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, thorn, this is our unvoiced or softer TH sound is in like think, right? The th mm. sound, something like that. Um, the other one we already mentioned, of course, is when there, that kind of uh, P-ish looking uh, letter that actually makes a wa. Um, and then I also found one called something like yoch or yog. Did you see this one? Yes, I like it. Uh, is it yoch or is it yof? 
I don't know. I have no idea. Cause uh, it looks like it looks pretty much just like a three, I would say, actually. So actually, uh, I do have a little bit of trivia about this one. Fun sure, fact. Let's hear it. Uh, because it looks like a cursive Z, uh, when Scottish uh, printers started to, uh, uh, you know, uh, print their written word, uh, and this is a character, this is a phoneme that's uh, pretty common in Scottish Gaelic languages, um, it was uh, replaced by the Z uh, to the point that um, the... A politician, the Scottish politician, uh, Mingus Campbell. Uh, Mingus is spelled M-E-N-Z-I-E-S. Wow, so very interesting. It looks yeah. like it should be spelled Min- Menzies, which <laughs> is not a very fun name. Well, but it's actually pronounced much, Mingus. Much more unfortunate names than that, I suppose. So it, so it must know. make something... Something between like a ga and a ha kind of sound, I guess. Yeah, you see it in yeah. loch. You also see it in dofter, uh, daughter. Yeah. Um, uh, it's uh, it, sure, it's daughter. A, a con- you're right. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. so right. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, daughter. Uh, just an aside. Maybe I've already said this on the podcast before, but uh, they they kind of trace the meaning of this back, and it seems to be a d- diminutive form of uh of uh the word for like milker like someone who milks the cow so the daughter was like the little milker on the farm right the woman who goes out and milks the cow in the morning so is like doff like the verb of of milking must be yeah uh and then we had a couple others that i saw that for me i mean i guess they're they're letters sure but uh like there's ash which i don't know if you saw this but this is just the a and the e like pushed together like they're conjoined and then there's yeah. Ethel, which is the O and the E pushed together, like they're joined. Is that how it's pronounced, Ethel? Oh, I don't know how it's pronounced. I just read it. Uh, but that's that's how it looks like it must be pronounced. And, and that's then like finally, a, that's like a full grandma name. That's <laughs> totally, like Pink's yeah. mom's name. Yeah, it's true. So, so like if if uh, a grandma ever wants to like go the prince route and like change her name, <laughs> like the grandma formerly known as Ethel, she her symbol can just be that, you know. Oh, come on, Granny Rock, do it! <laughs> and then, of course, the other one, uh, which we mentioned when we were discussing this episode, is that, that long S. I, I never saw any other name for it, but mm-hmm. I think it's honestly just still called the S, because they didn't really differentiate. Yeah, you know, say it looks a little like an F, except without a cross, you know? It's got like mm-hmm. a long center vertical bar, and then little curves on the top and bottom. Like if an S was also a giraffe. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I was under the impression this made a different sound, but it actually doesn't. It's, it's just the S. It just makes the S sound. The, the convention was that if you had an S at the end of a word, it should look like the modern S. If you have an S inside or in the front of a word, it should look like the long S. And mm. again, with t- typography, this just, it was a pointless extra complication. So uh, they just kind of got rid of it. Huh. I wonder how much of uh, English we've just lost because we wanted to simplify. Sure, just typography in general. I mean, I, I think uh, typesetting, you know, movable type, this is the whole reason why our language is so uh, difficult to spell, you know, because it kind of froze mm-hmm. everything in time right there where the language is still kind of 
in evolution incorporating mm. its different uh you know source languages and, and things okay and i i think we read about it before that uh this difference in uh american uh spelling and british spelling like in color where you leave out the u you know this was just due to like uh here newspapers were charging people by the letter you know uh and so to save save a penny we just cut out the u <laughs> right save a penny which has a double letter an unnecessary double letter oh sure we save a penny <laughs> so uh you know, one of the big questions here, I think, is how did we decide to put them in, to put the alphabet in the order that we have it in? Uh, interestingly, with, of course, lots of little changes, because we've taken letters out, added them back mm -hmm. later, et cetera, et cetera. One of the big changes was uh, Greek was the first, as some people say, true alphabet, because it had vowels with a letter for the vowel. Uh, they mm -hmm. didn't have so many consonant sounds as uh, Phoenician and this earlier Semitic. Um, so they just repurposed some of those extra letters that they didn't have a sound for. They made those their vowels. And they started this practice of, okay, we've got a bunch of vowel sounds, actually. They had like 13. They didn't have that mm -hmm. many extra letters, so they just gave each of them like two sounds. And then that still didn't quite cover it, so they would put two together. Like an E and an A would make a different sound, right? So then that way they could yeah. cover all their vowels. And of course, that's kind of what we're, that's the boat we're still in now, you know. Uh, but so lots of little changes like that. But if you allow for those changes, uh, you can see that there was a pretty consistent order from not exactly the beginning, because we don't have records quite that far back, but from 14th century BCE, uh, we have evidence that the alphabet was more or less in the same order it is now so why does a come first yeah i mean personally i have some i have a theory with no evidence at all i was thinking Ooh. about this idea of uh alphabet or alphabet you know this uh mm -hmm. uh ox house or cow house or whatever sure. you know and the um, barn. it's like you say i mean there those are probably two of the most important things in their life. You know, you got your ox, he's plowing your field or feeding you or giving you milk or whatever. And you've got your house. I mean, that's kind of at the top, right? Uh, but mm -hmm. another thing I was thinking about, like, uh, I, I saw this strange uh, little fact uh, about a concept called boustrophedon, right? So this is where mm -hmm. uh, you're writing across a line. When you get to the end, you don't pick up your pencil and go back. You just keep writing. You know, so you, you basically just go right in the other direction, your way back across. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like we actually, when I was in high school, we, we saw a technique for this. They tried to teach us to do this for speed reading, right? Because you save yourself time. You're not moving your eyes back across. You just read the next one backward. And How much effort does brain... it take to move your eyes to the beginning of a sentence? I mean, every, every second counts, I guess. Uh, okay. <laughs> but... The idea is that your brain will sort it out somehow, you know? Um, you know what? No, not okay. Back then, people <laughs> had nothing to do. There was no entertainment. What were they spending all of their time on? Well, I think I think it probably took much longer to write anything because you're, like, having to kind of jab it into a, a clay um, tablet as it was drying or something, you know? So, um, mm, okay. 
But this word, boustrophedon, however you say it, uh, so boos was the word for ox, actually, coincidentally. Uh, a word like strophe or strophe, this me- meant to turn. So it was like the, in the way that the ox turns, you know. Hmm. And so I was thinking, well, you, you kind of get the sense of it because you're, you're making lines on a page similar to how an ox might make lines on a field. And um, okay. so I thought, well, you know, writing, they, it might have been a kind of a playful uh, word association between what an ox would do in a field and what you were doing on the paper. And, and then I, I think with house, you know, because this isn't the kind of, uh, let's say, courtly writing system of the Egyptians. This is kind of just the house writing, right? This is what you would do at home for your home affairs, things like that. Gotcha. Or possibly just as if you, ha- as in you have like, a, you know, let's say house servants, house slaves, you know, it's like the, the writing system used by the people of your house, right? Oh, all right. But again, I have no evidence to support that at all. Just my thought. Okay. About it. Well, but, um, it, whatever it was, it definitely uh, influences a lot of American pop culture today because, uh, A, of course, um, uh, being like A plus, A number one, um, it, you, you get it in your uh, grading systems, especially. Um, I, I just think it would be a very interesting wor- world if uh, the grading systems were a little bit more logical if they were based on something other than an arbitrary alphabetical order like um in the harry potter world uh, you know how the grades in uh, america are it's a um b c d and for some reason we skip e and go straight to f usually uh well my teachers uh, tried to like help our self-esteem and they omitted the f and they just gave us e's instead because you know <laughs> An E is technically higher in the alphabet than an F, so maybe it's. I mean, it's obviously still a failure, but <laughs> it's like I think it's like how'd just... I do? It's like how'd I do? And they're like, eh, they run E. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why the E's omitted. I mean, I guess most likely it just looked a lot like an F, so they thought, or it looked a lot like a B. Probably is their was their thinking. Or maybe it was just uh, mathematically difficult to reconcile because uh, it, they they correspond generally um, with you know ten percent. Um, oh, you think? Yeah, A is generally four point oh, which is ninety to one hundred percent correct. B eighty to eighty nine percent. C seventy to seventy nine percent. F accounts for 0 to 59%. So I still think that E should be involved somehow. I just think that it's like two different levels of failure. And they were like, well, we don't need two different levels of failure. A failure's a failure. You, <laughs> okay, you suck. I could buy it. Yeah, it makes mm-hmm. sense. It makes a lot of sense. And one, one of the theories about, you know, again, there's this question, why is it in the order it's in the alphabet? I mean, and they essentially they don't know. You know, nobody really, really knows for sure. But one idea is that maybe in ancient Egypt, there was some like letter to number uh, association in the same way as mm-hmm. our alphabet and so on is today. You know, so and that that was lost over time. So possibly a a.k.a. Aleph did originally correspond with one or something like that mm-hmm. and so on and so on. You know, and Kabbalic scholars uh, and tell, uh, like um 
uh, people that study the Kabbalah uh, mm-hmm. in more, you know, if you want to talk about things that are older than pink. Um, <laughs> no, nothing's older than pink. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, Talmudic and uh, Kabbalic scholars, uh, uh, they have the symbol of numerology, wherein every uh, letter corresponds to a number. Uh, and the numerology uh, indicates how um, uh, certain words are related to each other. For example, um, the word for uh, honor uh, corresponds to the letter uh, to uh, about, I think, 26, uh, number 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the word for love is uh, corresponds to the number 13. So how do you honor somebody? You love them twice as much. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, it really only makes sense in the context of the language that it is, but at least Hebrew has some sort of, uh, attempt at, uh, going for, um, some sort of reasoning with their, with their order and the, uh, uh with the order that they do their alphabet in. So I can kind of respect that. Absolutely. I don't understand a bit of it, but. Uh, it is a definitely an effort. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really cool. I, I think, you know, humans have this tendency to, you know, make a code or make a pattern or find mm-hmm. a pattern for everything. And, and even more than that, just to, you know, it's like we, we kind of forget when things are arbitrary. So we, we just imagine mm-hmm. things to be, to have some patterning or, or ordering or have some reason or sense you know yeah um but yeah and it also shows you know because we're doing all this like patterning and coding etc you know once you once something's in some kind of order that people have agreed on it's really sticks you know like uh, mm-hmm. one of the main purposes one of the main ways we use alphabetical order and it has always been that way is to you know organize things so if you go into a library you know okay this, this author with the last name a, you know, Alan mm-hmm. or whatever is probably going to be up before this author I see here in front of me with the last name like uh, Brown or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once you have that system, if you were to decide to change it to like reorder the alphabet or something, well, that screws up everybody's whole system, you know. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of. I, I think that's very convincing to me, just this idea that, you know, it's just inertia, you know, it's like they, they had it in some order, probably thoughtless order to begin with <laughs> and it was there they people were using it you can't change it once it's in use so it just kind of stuck you know hmm. so uh, if we were to be a little bit more logical instead of relying on the arbitrary uh grading system wherein a is the first so it's the best b is the second so it's the second best um i kind of i i uh, I kind of always really enjoyed the Harry Potter grading system, wherein O was the best and T was the worst. So uh, rather than uh, relying on like the numeric um, alphabet or, or the alphabet uh, based on this, O was considered the best because it stands for outstanding. E is exceeds expectations. Uh, A is acceptable, P is poor, D is dreadful, and of course T, everybody knows, is troll. (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah, I, I never even knew mm-hmm. about that system. We, I mean, I remember when I was in like kindergarten, we had something like that, right? There's like S for what was it, sufficient or satisfactory? <laughs> satisfactory. Yeah. Which again, yeah. it's not so. Uh, it almost seems like a faint praise, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You for it's acceptable. You pa- you were you were satisfied the requirements. <laughs> yeah, it's like their way of subtly saying you're five, kid. We weren't expecting that much out of you anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I stumbled upon something. I it may have been written by a crazy person. I, I don't know, but it it was very fascinating. It it was very long. It appeared like it was possibly uh, something an educated person with some expertise wrote. Uh, he was pointing out that um, in here, it's very, very complicated. So I'll try my best, but the, the Phoenician mm-hmm. alphabet. So this is like the, basically the next one after this very, very first Semitic language alphabet. Mm-hmm. Um, the symbols, if you join two together, he, he said they're like in uh, sequential couplets. He was saying it's in the order of sequential couplets where if you put two together, it should make one of the constellations in the Egyptian solar zodiac. Uh, so, so basically his argument is that, you know, like uh, zodiac signs and astrology determine mm-hmm. the order of the alphabet. Now, it's not in the order of the months. It's it's. He was saying it's more based on some star charts that the Egyptians use, and it was in the order of those charts. Um, it's a very interesting idea because you know it gives us something, and I, I actually I think it's pretty compelling just because it's incredible, you know, how much the zodiac mm-hmm. and, and astrology have you know carried on in society in all these different oh, ways yeah. that you would never expect, you know. So and it kind yeah. of makes you kind of. Uh, uh... Bemoan the fact that, you know, light pollution and uh, modern society just makes us so unfamiliar with the night sky because it's so <laughs> crucial to so many, uh, like, really ancient ideas and ideals. Totally. Um, it, it's kind of like, um, what do you call it, an anthropological disconnect. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great mm-hmm. point. It's like we were talking about last episode with the months, you know, where uh mm-hmm. ukraine had this great situation where they knew what their months meant you know this is like red yeah. flower month so let's see those red flowers you know uh, <laughs> and but we kind of lose that because our months are meaningless the name you know but yeah I mean, you can kind of see it a little bit so uh it's really really complicated to understand but you you can get the first one and then you see okay i guess i see what he means so so the a in english you know this aleph in the original uh languages mm-hmm. Uh, it comes. It came from a hieroglyph that lo- was a, an ox, obviously. Uh, so it looked like the head of a cow, right? And you can s- still see that in our A today. <gasps> if you turn it upside down, you've got if the legs become the two down. horns, and the triangle become the face, right? So you have a bull. I see. There. And then the B, uh, unfortunately, has changed a lot more. The B for house used to look kind of like a rectangle with another square in it for a door mm-hmm. or whatever. But so again, you turn this on its side, it's got kind of a torso ish form to it. Uh, in the Phoenician, it looked much closer to the body part. So, uh, so did then the you had always the, the... look like a pair of sunglasses. No, not always, unfortunately. No, I guess okay. maybe sunglasses weren't invented yet. I, I don't know. 
Oh, had to. But it has always been very cool. You know why? Why? It's between the A and the C. Between the AC. Oh. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> why didn't we use that joke? <laughs> oh well, we're using it now. That's all that matters. <laughs> um, so you got this. You got the bull head, right? You got the mm-hmm. body. Put them together, and that first uh, zodiac sign is Taurus. It's the bull. Oh. And they they all go kind of like that, where they literally, yeah, where they literally come together to look like the constellation version, which of course constellations oh. already don't look very much like the thing that they claim that they're drawing. Right. Anyway, but this is a yeah. crab. Where? Where is the crab? <laughs> Anything can be a crab, you know. It's, again, it all comes back to carcinization. You know? <laughs> Everything becomes crabs, even the stars. <laughs> so, a really cool idea, I think. Um, but is it definitely true? No. I mean, there, there's no mm-hmm. substantiation for this either, but uh, definitely it gives us something, you know, um, to, <laughs> to give us some idea of what may be the, the letter order. On. Of the alpha. Yeah, yeah. And it, the last thing I'll mention, because I think also it seemed pretty compelling, is they think, well, you know, maybe it's just there was some mnemonic, you know, so you got like 22 letters, I believe, in the original one that you needed to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't necessarily need to remember the order, but you needed to remember what they were. So maybe mm-hmm. they just made up like a sentence, you know, similar to this, uh, my mother serves <sighs> me very fine pies or whatever what is the do you know the uh planet <laughs> uh, my, my very, mother just gave me a uh, no nope. my very educated mother there it is from my inside very... to outside right <laughs> my very educated mother uh is it jupiter or saturn just jupiter served yeah just served me which is i guess uh, us neptune ah it's for us. uranus ah yeah yeah uh-huh Pies. Nine pickles. <laughs> nine pies. Nine pickles. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So possibly but no they more had a Pluto. So I think it's <laughs> yeah, my very educated us... mother just served us non. <laughs> non- <laughs> 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 so you know, possibly Noodles. they had like a a bit longer version of this, and you know, this mm-hmm. was their way of rem- okay. Let me think of what are all twenty two, and then they had them, and so that order kind of mm-hmm. stuck. That was where everyone's putting. There you go. I mean, it's still kind of how we do it now, because like we use the song now, you know, A B C D, mm-hmm. and obviously the song only works whenever they're in the order that they're in. You can't just randomly. Right. It can't be A B C D X Q F U. <laughs> yeah. Not if Gail has anything to say about it. <laughs> All right. So and- so as as we talked about, most of these letters have some origin where they were originally something else, like a hieroglyph or something, or, or something like that, right? So I thought it would be funny if I described to you a few of these, and you could tell me what letter you think it is. Ooh, okay, yeah, tell me. Okay. Uh, so this one's from the Egyptians. Uh, it was used for the symbol for offense. Ooh. Offense. Which letter is the most fence-like? The most fence-like letter I would say is M, because it's got that uh, it's got those two posts and the two posts cross into it. Actually, it is H, right? H. Two posts and a line. That makes sense. Now, 
M, I'll just go ahead and tell you, uh, originally was a symbol for water. It looks like waves. Oh, okay. Huh. That makes, that also makes sense. Because uh, they wouldn't have had a W, right? As far as I know, they don't, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this letter originally meant an axe. It initially looked like the letter mm. I with serifs at the top and the bottom. Serifs, of course, these little uh, tails or lines you usually see in typography. I love me a serif. Um, I'll tell you that much. It was eventually adopted by the Greeks and given a different sound. Uh, and actually, the Latins didn't keep this one. I don't know how much. Really? I mean, that may give you a hint. But the the Latin people didn't keep it. Later, they brought it back whenever they had some more dealings with Greek, and they brought in mm-hmm. some Greek let- words, and they needed letters to say them. Uh, but anyway, gotcha. so as far as the appearance of the letter goes, it was just kind of a straight line with a serif at the top and the bottom. So it actually sounds a lot like our I right now, but it's not the I. It meant mm. X. So, uh, immediately when you say axe, my instinct is D, but there's a lot of Ds used in Latin. Um, Why D? Because uh, it's got that uh, straight line, and then you've got the curve that uh, looks like Ah, this would be a... your axe head? Ah, uh, yeah, it's a yeah, good idea. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm going with the D&D axe head. I'm not going with the, like, the straight... That's a like, fair uh, idea. Yeah, yeah, sure. Not the big like one. Like a war axe, for yeah. sure. Um, it's... Okay. This one's so, basically uh, unguessable. This is actually the Z. Because, uh, oh. again, uh, Romans didn't use the Z. Uh, this is why mm. Zeta, the you know Greek version of Z, is in a f- completely different place from ours. Um, mm. So we put our Z at the end, along with the Y, because we didn't use them much. We just added them mm. on to the end, because they're just for a few Greek words back in uh, You Roman don't times. have to reorder your alphabet if you put all of the crappy letters or the new letters at the end. Exactly right. Um, let's see. I'll give you one more, I suppose. Oh, yeah, there's a very interesting one. Um, uh, so this one mm-hmm. originally was the word for praise or worship, and it was Ooh. in the hieroglyph form. It was just a guy with his hands up like this. Um, like most letters, it's actually been kind of turned. The directions seem not to matter so much, so they got kind of randomized. Uh, gotcha. So in this case, we still... Whereas we, he used to have a whole body and everything. Now we still just see the arms and something like the the head in the middle, mm. and the directions change, so it's not facing up anymore. That's very interesting because when you said arms out, like I'm picturing YMCA. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, but it's actually not the Y. Yeah, it's turned. So uh, a, a sideways or upside down Y uh, would look a little bit like an A. Or, but that's ox, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and a turned Y for worship. Is it? Do 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 do. A B C D E F G H I J K. Is it a K? It's actually just an E. Just an E. So that <gasps> middle line in the E was originally the head, and the, the the top and bottom lines were originally the R. Oh, okay. Now, phonetically, does that uh, did the Egyptians worship uh, uh, by going e? <laughs> right, they were like the aliens on Toy Story too. <laughs> <laughs> they worship the claw, yeah. <laughs> the claw, all right. <laughs> all right. And, well, I could go on and on. Obviously, there's 26 or so, but 
it'll take forever. So uh, we'll wrap that part up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting, of course, because every letter has a story. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting to think, okay, we, we've kind of, uh, we're still using words that basically meant something in this totally different language. I and mean, I was thinking about how, you know, ox, uh, this is a castrated uh, bull used for uh, field work and such. So whenever mm-hmm. someone says they're they're an alpha male, it's like they're saying they're like a castrated male, you know. <laughs> Which, if somebody tells you that they're an alpha male, that's really all you need to know about them. Is they think <laughs> that they're an alpha male, and you can just yeah, walk away. For sure. All right, so um, are we ready to move on to our yeah, Eurovision quote-unquote section? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... Usually on the podcast, we also cover a uh, a song from uh, the Eurovision. Um, uh, we've been covering songs from the 2021 Eurovision because uh, that was what we had to work with. Uh, but uh, we're changing up the podcast a little bit. And you know what has recently come out is the American Song Contest. America, which, uh, number one. Woo! We're number one. Uh, number two, really, because they were first. So <laughs> in this particular uh, yeah, case, well, I suppose we're number two. I will tell you this much, though. Uh, the American con- Song Contest understood the assignment. So what Eurovision is, is it's a uh, basically a song contest, a continent-wide song contest. Every uh, country has a representative song and singer. Um, and they have this uh, huge music festival uh, contest wherein people vote for their favorite um, singer, um, their favorite song for, uh, from their representative country, and, you know, whoever wins gets to host the next year. It's a fun, I enjoy it. It's always very campy, always very um, uh, uh, extreme, very uh, theatrical. Uh, so, uh, even though I don't enjoy music so much, I do really enjoy, like, regional competitions. So, we are getting into the swing of Eurovision season, um, which is the only thing. I think that uh, on the American Song Contest should probably be on, like, a six-month uh, difference from the Eurovision mm, Song Contest. Because that way yeah. I don't waste all of my... A little my... weird choice, yeah. Right? Um the American Song Contest takes 56, uh, so 50 states and six territories, and uh, or five territories, and Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we are trying to find the best singer and song in America for this year. And how, so, many, how many European countries, how many European competitors are there? Do you know? So it varies year to year. Um, mm. There's always, uh, I believe, um, the big five always get into the uh, semifinals, or, or the finals, rather. Um, uh, the big five being uh, the pre- previous year's winner, um, the UK, Germany, uh, France, I believe, um, and two others. But <laughs> uh, they, it's pretty much whoever puts the most money into the European Song Contest. Uh, sure. automatically gets through to the final. Well, I guess now now it's one less because, of course, Russia is out. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. Russia has been banned, and rightly so. Take that, uh, Russia. Not, nothing against Manisha, because uh, it, like the 
uh, obviously, Russia does is home to several uh, really, really fantastic music artists. But yeah, just I'm a really big fan of uh, Little Big. I think they were like two years ago. Yeah, and Tattoo, of course, is a big. Uh, um, were they uh, on Eurovision? Russian. Yeah, Tattoo was in Eurovision a couple wow. of years ago. I had no idea. Uh, and they've never been in Eurovision, but uh, I'm a big fan of Pussy Riot. So I'm, I'm a, um, you know, of course, like everyone, I know who they are. I'm sure I've never heard a Pussy Riot song. Hmm. Okay. So a Pussy Riot is more of a uh, uh, punk. Group. Yeah, I would guess so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I gathered that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I respect everything that they do. I love yeah, them. Yeah, for for me, uh, I think 56 is a lot. I mean, I don't know if that's less than... 56 is a than, lot. But, I mean, Eurovision, great. Uh, they're all hilarious and, and weird and different. I, I could I could stand at least 100. But even with Eurovision, to be perfectly honest, I never get through every song. So 56, mm-hmm. already I'm just like, it's just too much, you know? Maybe combine yeah. like all these like North Dakota, South Dakota, North Carolina, South Carolina. Maybe just give them one. You know, they don't need their <laughs> own separate musicians. So one of the things that you often see in uh, Eurovision is they create voting blocks. So um, it's it's a lot of people criticize Eurovision for being uh, kind of political. So countries that have a strong cultural connection to each other, the Scandinavian countries, the Baltic countries. Uh, the more Germanic countries, they'll often vote for each other uh, and try to, like, boost each other up like that. Um, whereas, like, even though Russia is always, uh, uh, no, not, I mean, Russia's not even a factor anymore, so not even going to waste time on that. But, um, like, say, Malta or, uh, you know, um these countries that don't have like strong cultural ties to uh, any other countries, they tend to be, they have to go off of their own um, merits, their own song merits. Right. I probably Azerbaijan would be a great example because it has a little mm. bit more of a Muslim inflected culture that probably isn't shared right. so much with the rest of the And I believe you know, the last time Azerbaijan won was in, uh, I think, 2011. Wow. And they fully deserved it. It was a very, very good entry. I love 2011 Eurovision. Um, so what your uh, the American Song Contest is trying to replicate that that sort of regional um, competition. Hey, everybody, root for your home team! Hooray! Um, but unfortunately, it does fall victim to a lot of the problems that we see with American democracy. Um, so what do you mean? The, the well, the um, votes are counted and the winners are counted in a couple of different ways. At the end of every night, there are uh, 56 jurors. Uh, we don't know who the jurors are, but the idea is there's one from every uh, representative state and territory. <laughs> wow. So um, that uh, we think of it more like a senatorial thing. So even though <laughs> right, it's like the has... electoral college, but I, I guess exactly. it's all equal at least. Yeah. Which is worse, well, actually. So, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, exactly. So you've got, um, you've got. Even though Wyoming has like six people, they have exactly as much jury power as California, who has uh, approximately a billion people. Hmm. Um. So if their votes count as the same, hmm. 
a lot of the Great Plains states, these more, the Bible Belt states, have very um, low uh, populations, sure. but there's a lot of them. That's fair. So as a result, the jury winners all look the same. So at the end of each heat, the jury uh, gets to um, pick w- one song that's going to advance to the semifinals. Uh, so far, the jury winners are Rhode Island, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Washington. Um, they are represented 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 by uh, Houston. Uh, that's his name. Oh, uh, Jordan <laughs> I'm Smith. Yeah, have a middle name he could go by for this. <laughs> it's even spelled weird. It's H U E S T O N. Houston. Houston. Um, he has held on too long. Jordan Smith, uh, from Kentucky, sang Sparrow. Tyler Braden from Tennessee sang Seventeen. And Alan Smith from Washington saying a bit of both. Now, uh, one thing that the jury has had in common with the first four heats, uh, and there have been four heats so far, is they're all white men, and there's mm. pretty much a very country um, slant to it. So it, the same issues that I have with American democracy, I kind of have with the American Song Contest voting system. Yeah, um, I mean... It it was clearly a bad idea from the beginning. I'm uh, so mm-hmm. I, I don't have such high expectations of it to somehow be amazing, uh, but of I course it is say. disappointing. It, it's weird that they didn't just do like a some kind of a everybody vote like American Idol type thing. But I so guess that's, that's how not they how your rest of it. Mm-hmm. Every every heat we uh, the jury picks one to advance automatically. And then America gets to vote on the other three that they also want to see advance to the semifinal. Mm, I see. So, so far, aside from the jury winners, uh, we have Oklahoma, Puerto Rico, Connecticut, Kansas, Montana, North Dakota, Alabama, Texas, and Colorado. See, already, and... even, even though it's my own country and I know these states, my eyes glaze over just hearing the <laughs> list. There's just too many. This is never works. Uh-huh. It, and I mean, I I know, sure, there are regional cultural differences, but mm-hmm. are there though? I mean, like, I I I just moved to a different state, and some things are kind of different, but not not to the extent that like two European countries are different. So it's just no. it's just less fun to me. Um, I will tell you that uh, so far I have counted uh only six cowboy hats. Okay. Not bad. Which yeah. I was, I, when I was going through, I was like, I bet there's going to be a lot of cowboy hats. There's only six of them. Nice. Uh, Tell me, and so, three of the songs so far have been in Spanish. Oh, that's cool. So two, two important questions for me. One, like, are they silly? Like, is, is it like mm-hmm. zany, like the Eurovision? Or are, mm-hmm. is everyone like taking everything too seriously? And it's basically just bland, like American Idol or something. Mm-hmm. So you do have a nice uh, mix of both, I think. So um, uh, the jury winners so far have all been taking themselves very seriously. Uh, But then you have, uh, say, Oklahoma advanced. Uh, Alexa is uh, an actual K-pop star. She uh, was 
um, a singer in South Korea. And uh, her song Wonderland is very, very K-pop meets hip-hop. It's really fun. Um, my favorite so far has been Florida. Uh, Ali Zabala uh, Flirt has been... Uh, uh, it's still kind of stuck in my head. Uh, but a standout performance is Wyoming. Um, and his song uh, was called New Boot Goofin'. Okay. Okay, so uh, a little cultural context on New Boot Goofin' um, is apparently in Wyoming, you've got to wear cowboy boots. And whenever you wear cowboy boots, uh, you have to uh, break them in. Uh, And uh, that is the New Boot Goofin' dance. Which (laughs) It's a very, like, uh, Old Town Road (laughs) type thing. Pretty much. Little Nas X. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but for sneakerheads, but sneakerheads who believe in cowboy boots instead of sneakers. Um, but, uh, I mean, all of the performances so far have been very, very on par with Eurovision. Uh, um, some of them are very simplistic. Some of them are extremely out there. All of them try to represent this air, uh, some part of their culture, some part of their state, something unique about them. Uh, and the uh, they also produce music videos to go along with them for everybody to peruse at their own Good. leisure. Okay, so I may I may take part, and it, it mm-hmm. also kind of uh, negates my other question, which is how much Snoop Dogg is in it because I don't particularly enjoy watching Snoop Dogg. <laughs> so like I could just watch the videos, Snoop Dogg free, and uh, all good. I I don't have anything against him. I just don't like this like cult of personality thing generally. Um, I've never lacked Snoop Dogg in my life. Like, <laughs> it, I feel like it, it, Snoop Dogg is like one of those Snoop Dogg shaped hole in your heart. <laughs> exactly. Like, there's no if yeah. I if I'm ever like, huh, you know what I have, what I'm in the mood for, Snoop Dogg. There's never a lack. There's uh, always something that Snoop Dogg is on, some sort of wine that he's producing. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. So you're, you're satiated, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, for I never me, it's miss just Snoop. And not to get too SJW, but like with with rap and you know even rock music, lots of music, you know it's very machismo, uh, misogynistic, uh, mm-hmm. violent, aggressive, etc. And you know I, I love music. I listen to this stuff, and I'm just like it's just idiots. You know they they don't know. You know yeah. But but then to like go on to be like, hey, it's me, lovable Snoop Dogg, the guy who's you know most <laughs> iconic verse is about hitting a woman if she speaks back to you. You know, just not, I don't like that kind of uh, uh, whitewashing, so to speak, mm. or whatever you might call it. You know? uh, that, uh, what it is it, um, sanitization of, uh, yeah, or almost like Disneyfication, right? Where you take this monster yeah. and you say, hey, here's a lovable, wholesome guy that you mm-hmm. should, you know, have this kind of uh, parasocial connection to, like he's a great mm-hmm. guy, you know? Like, I, I have no, I'm, Differ from a lot of people. I, I don't really care about canceling people or anything. I, I'm fine with separating the artist from the art. But mm-hmm. in this case, you're just looking at the artist. You know, you're you're saying, yeah. hey, love the artist for the artist, you know. And, and for me, that part, it's just, it's just, uh, I think people make a kind of a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking here? Cognitive dissonance with, with that kind mm-hmm. of thing, where they, they compartmentalize it and they just kind of don't think about the reasons why mm-hmm. they shouldn't actually love this person as if they're friends with them, you know. 
So I will say, um, I, I, I definitely miss I, uh, Snoop and Kelly Clarkson. Oh, Kelly Clarkson are um, their music artists first. Uh, I don't think that they're quite um, adept at hosting yet. <laughs> they are like uh, Kelly says the same thing uh, all like for every single song, which uh, uh, I love that. And then she'll say something like uh, the beat or the harmony or something more structural. She won't say much about like the culture behind that. And of course, Snoop's whole um, uh, hosting strategy is he grooves and he kind of dances <laughs> along to it. And like, you know, he does this funny bit where uh, he uh, every now and then he'll come on like a, uh, uh giving a fun fact about a state and then he'll say and that's the facts <laughs> so it's it's like <laughs> to me it sounds like a real to... mismatch right they they found the two famous yeah. people they could find uh but probably not the best fit they're like how can we bring in the uh rap crowd and exactly. how can we bring in yeah. the country crowd together it's so like it's it, like it's... uh did you watch crime scene kitchen no, that uh, sounds fun. It's great. Yeah, it's a great show. But so they got uh the guy from Community, Joel McHale, talk soup guy, you know, mm. to host it. And, you know, he's fine, whatever. But, you know, it's just like he just doesn't seem like a person who's ever eaten food for enjoyment. You know, he doesn't really <laughs> seem to like food. He, he, he doesn't have this kind of like, I don't know, pan-like uh, persona of most, like, Food Network mm-hmm. hosts. It's just a weird choice. But like I say, I mean, it's just like, okay, they're like, okay, we've, we got a famous music person. We'll, we'll put them in our music show, you know? Mm-hmm. And if we want to, like, uh, tie it a little bit back to the alphabetical um, uh, alphabet, alphabetical alphabet, um, <laughs> uh, it seems like uh, um, they kind of... Uh, Went for the A-list instead of <laughs> who's going to be, like, the best. Uh, and according to the Omer scale, uh, the, which is the list of most bankable celebrities, mm-hmm. it arranges it by A-list, B-list, C-list, ah, D-list. I never knew it was so, such a true codified thing. I thought oh, it was yeah. just kind of... Uh, he, the Omer scale like, is redone, yeah. like, every year. Wow, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I think that... Okay, so who is the British guy? Um, he's always host Eurovision uh, for Great Britain. No idea. Oh man, he does a he has his own talk show, and uh, so this is exactly what a C-list celebrity is. It's it's when you <laughs> say that guy. <laughs> I can't think guy. of the name, but that guy that does the sure. thing that's yeah. like pure C-list. Yeah. Um, but he is a fantastic host mm-hmm. and that's cause he doesn't make it all about himself. He, right. he makes it all about the content and, uh, about, uh, you know, he'll throw in some funny quips here and there, but he's always, uh, he always makes his guests the star. He always, um, you know, he knows how to host. Mm-hmm. He knows how to MC as opposed to perform. And I think that's something that uh, maybe the next season of the American Song Contest can kind of get behind. We don't need performers so. hosting. We need hosts. Yeah, I hope so. But, you know, Jim, I guess it's not the way American culture <laughs> usually works. Usually you get the most famous person you can possibly yeah. get. You know, it's like same issue happens with animation 
anime and movies and TV a lot of times where you oftentimes don't get a voice actor, you just get a famous person. <laughs> and even sometimes you like modify their voice or something, you know, just because you want that name recognition. So I did have, I want, kind of wanted you to guess a little bit. Um, okay. One of uh, the things that I was keeping track of and, and I'm continuing to keep track of as we go through the American Song Contest is um, the prevalence of solos, duos, and groups. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I just somehow imagine it's a lot of solo people. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that's the number one, just because I, I really think they probably want people to associate it or get a lot of the same crowd as like American Idol and the voice mm-hmm. and stuff. So I would say it's mostly solo. I would say zero duets and oh. a few groups. Okay. So, uh, so far in the first four heats, it has been, uh, five, 10, 15, 25, 35, um, 39 solo acts, uh, three duo acts and three group acts. What so far? Yeah. I saw there's some really weird ones in there, like famous mm-hmm. people, like you mentioned Bolton and they also Jewel yeah. is in it as Alaska. Yeah, she so, represents Alaska. And it, this old like nineties kind of techno rock band, the Crystal Method is in it. I don't even know what state Yeah, they're Crystal Method's in it. But yeah, they they were like really big for like me and my scumbag friends when I was a teenager. <laughs> they're one of the bands that made it onto the Spawn movie soundtrack, you know, the best soundtrack ever made. So <laughs> Yeah, really weird to see them again just pop up. You know, I mean they must be like fifty or older, I don't know. Uh, they look really young, actually. They look like, I don't know, 30s. Wow, maybe they, uh, they kind of like uh, passed along the, the uh, crown to their children or something. Yeah, probably. Or maybe uh, it's all Cisco's that crystal meth, you know. Next one. <laughs> Keeps people young. <laughs> Who? Cisco? What? Cisco, yeah. Cisco's in there? I didn't even see him. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I guess a, a, in the next a funny week. thing would be to try to guess where they're from. I mean, like, is he from California? I mean, he seems California. Cisco, let me take a look. I don't know if Cisco's from California, but I know he's representing a different state. Hang on. Well, I, I mean, just w- let's say is he representing. I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he's yeah. representing his home do, state. Do, do, do. Cisco in ASC is representing... Come on, Maryland. Oh well, I never would have guessed. But yeah, I think <laughs> I think that's a great sign because you know his thong song or whatever. That's a that's a great Eurovision song. You know, that's a song it that I could see is. being in Eurovision. You know. Oh my gosh! Yes. Uh, it's goofy. It's over the top. You know. Oh my gosh! And Crystal Method, of course, was Nevada, and oh yeah, Macy Gray was in Ohio. Yeah, I saw. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So, uh, last heat is going to be next week. Um. Go Michigan. Uh. We are being represented by uh. What is her name? Ada Leanne. Uh. Who and she is the youngest of the uh, ASC participants. So what's her deal? What is she? What kind of music does she sing? I don't know. I will be surprised to hear oh, it. Oh, uh, they haven't even finished the the first. No, no, we're oh, still mid heat. Okay, uh, she's gotcha. going to be in the fifth heat. Yep. Uh, 
uh, and fifth and final heat, and then we'll go on to the semifinals. The semifinals are, uh, you don't, I can absolutely forgive nobody paying attention to these uh, yeah, first heats because yeah. it's a lot of music to get through. True. But uh, the semifinals are, are when you're going to be starting to narrow down to. Um... <laughs> well, like, I think that's the chill of these competitions. Like, you don't watch the first week because it's too many. And then after that, <laughs> other people don't watch because they've already seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, they just got to <laughs> sing the same song again, you know? So we'll just trade off what we're watching. <laughs> so uh, to again bring it back to Alphabet. The topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, in Eurovision, the English language is um, primarily represented by Britain and Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, lots of other countries speak English, sure, of course, lots of other countries that don't necessarily speak English do their songs in English, but the, the countries associated with English, of course, Britain and Australia, that, that famous right. European country. And, you Australia. know, that famous European country, Australia. <laughs> Yes. So um, I thought it would be interesting to look into two letters that America pronounces differently from Ooh, England now okay. that we're in the American O-Vision uh, competition. Yes. So one of them, I think everybody, or maybe most people know pretty well, uh, that is the American letter Z, which the British pronounce how? Z. Z. Sure. Exactly right. And so actually, historically, it wasn't necessarily such a big divide. Uh, Both countries tended to use one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, there were a lot of other ways that people pronounced Z as well. So it's one of these things where it's like, it was one of the newer letters, I suppose, Mm -hmm. last one added, seems like. Um, We hadn't quite agreed on the pronunciation. So some of those other pronunciations, Zod. Zard, Izod, and Izzard, which very fascinating to me. This last name Izzard is actually just Z, right? Eddie Z, Eddie Izzard. That's interesting. And why? Why do you think that they all include the phoneme for D? (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think there is some overlap there, not in English, but in some other languages where uh, the D and the Z. Uh, even if you make the sound in your mouth, you can feel it's a similar location there. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's other languages besides English where there's some mixing of the two. You know, they may have something like a ja or ja, something mm-hmm. like that. So probably from that. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, so the, the truth is there, there's not a really huge reason behind why. I mean... Um, like often happens with language, if you have some kind of geographical separator between you and uh, the rest of the speakers of mm-hmm. a language, your language is likely to change in some weird little ways. Um, and so, of course, the Atlantic Ocean was a pretty big separator for us. Mm-hmm. And so we just tended to adopt this Z. Um, one reason that it probably stuck so much is that we have this alphabet song. You know, it was originally mm-hmm. popularized here in America. Um, no, I don't know when exactly. Uh, but of course, here you kind of need that rhyme, right? So uh, X, Y, and Z, next time, sing it with me or whatever. You know, it's a little <laughs> harder to make up a, a rhyme for Z. Although people have tried. Uh, I, I saw one here. Uh, y and Z, sugar on your bread. 
eat it all up before you are dead, which I have to admit is way what? better. It adds so much to it. That's a little bit metal. Right, it's like it's like one of these like what like ten word stories or something, mm-hmm. you know. You got this whole like plot happening now, you know. Oh, uh, real but... quick, do we happen to know what uh, came first, the song uh, "Mary Had a Little Lamb" or the ABCD song? Oh, or is it "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star"? Yeah, "Twinkle Twinkle, twinkle, little, twinkle star, little Star" ABCD, is the same. E-F-G. Yeah, "Mary Had a Little Lamb" is different. Yeah, so the "Twinkle yeah, Twinkle it's... Little Star." I I would suspect was first, um, maybe, because this one I think was either directly a William Blake poem or it was modified from a William Blake poem, which would have put it in Um. England. So I would I would guess that's first, Uh, but I don't know. I didn't see any research about that. Um, So one one argument though to why is Z more popular in America. Uh, of course, Z follows the format of many other letters. Lots of letters in with this E sound. C, D, G, uh, T, etc. Uh, so then Z would just seem to make it more fits sense. In right? the Simple. family. Simplify. And so um, something that people argue is that America, you know, we get a lot of immigration, lots of people trying to learn the language here, mixing, you know, and so this kind of simpler form, easier to remember, so it just kind of dominated mm-hmm. for that reason now the other letter that we share i think you don't know what or that we don't share between america uh, and england i think you don't know what it is okay all right uh, you care to make a, a guess you have a one in 25 chance a one in 25 chance a nope not a um let's see uh would it be I'm going to go with V. That's as good a guess as any, but unfortunately, no. Uh, so it is, in American, H. H? How is it pronounced in England? H. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is something I actually just discovered recently. Uh, I was listening to some audio, and someone was spelling something, and they said H. And I thought, what? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I didn't know what to think, honestly. I mean, you, it's kind of one of those things, like, where you just don't believe your ears at first. Yeah. You, know, you think you misheard it or something. But um, seems like it that is. Makes, it does make sense because, like, you've got your, uh, the difference between herb and herb. and uh, Yeah, exactly. You know. And it, it comes back to this for sure. And, um, and in Spanish, it's always a silent letter. Exactly right. And in French as well. And this is one of the reasons, right? Because, you know, English, uh, very heavily uh, influenced by and borrowing from French. Uh, the French letter, something like ache, um, comes from a word for like um, hatchet. Uh, also, this, our word uh, hash, well, not ours, theirs, hashtag, which we've borrowed. Mm-hmm. You know, this is from that same H uh, kind of root there. Because, of course, a, a hashtag or pound sign, very similar to an H, right? Um, okay. So anyway, so we, we see it pronounced in other things. With the H, uh, it's not even necessarily consistently that 100% of Brits pronounce the H in front of H, um, but many do. And same for Australians and South Africans. But, of course, in England itself, 
you know, there's many different accents. So it's, it's always hard to say that everyone mm-hmm. says something like this, but it, it's dominant for sure. That definitely makes sense because uh, like H as uh, when you say H, that does not tell you at all what kind of phoneme to expect. Exactly. Um, yeah, it comes back to that acrophonic idea, right? So ideally letters should start with the sound that they're supposed to make. This makes mm-hmm. everything simpler for everybody. But with some of them, just through the adaptations that have happened over time, it kind of uh, disappeared, right? Mm. And so one of the things here, as you say, you know, there's many uh, words that start with an H that are not pronounced, right? So uh, I think you mentioned uh-huh. herb, uh, hour is another one, honest That's right. is another one. So th- there actually used to be way more. And again, partly comes back to typesetting typography mm-hmm. again um it, at a certain point in the 1600s there was this kind of need in your typesetting to uh put something in front of the vowel that would start a, a mm-hmm. sentence you know and so since you had this h that was sometimes pronounced sometimes not anyway this would be a good first letter to kind of bookend your word right so there there were gotcha. lots of words that had an h that later lost it and so on and so a lot of words had an h because they were to mind (laughs) (laughs) a lot of words had an h because it was supposed to be pronounced right like a hot or something (laughs) other words had an h just because in the spelling you needed something there in the front right and so over time of course these two things just get confused where you don't totally know where you actually need an H sound, where it's just there almost as like decorative or formatting. <laughs> and so there's lots of words that the British used to pronounce with an H and now they don't and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Right. But in this period of kind of like a hyper correctness with Royal uh, received pronunciation, I guess it's called the RP. Uh, this mm-hmm. this making sure you're pronouncing the H sounds, so saying like herb and uh, even this word humble pie uh, comes from Ooh. a word humble, which meant like uh, similar to awful, meant like the organs, you know. Uh, oh, so, gross! <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. So it really solidified for them that they should make an H sound in front of their H words. They got H, which. Again, I, I totally agree. Acrophonic letters makes way more sense. It'd be way easier to teach somebody the alphabet. They, it, there's been research that shows that children learn the letters last that are not acrophonic, right? That, that pronunciation, those phonetics are, take longer for them to catch on to, you know? So, so H, I, I think, is the superior one. As far as Z yeah. versus Z, I think Z is way better, but... H versus H. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely on team H. <laughs> I wish it was easier to pronounce and didn't sound so off-putting. H. <laughs> H. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm a H hater. <laughs> guess so. <laughs> All right. So, um, if you could add or delete a letter from the alphabet. What change would you make? You can make one change, put something in, or hmm, take something out. What change would I make? Well, um, I would certainly, <laughs> if I could 
change the alphabet, I put you and I together. <laughs> um, but no, I would probably add pi and replace like the symbol. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you make it a letter. I put me and pi together. Oh sure, okay, got it. Yeah, very uh, <laughs> nice. What sound would it make? <laughs> it would make a sound uh, that never ends. Just goes on. It makes forever. a sound that never ends. Computers just like a, just like a sustained it. sigh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. <sighs> How about yeah, you? What would you do? Yeah, it's not a funny answer, but I, I think I'd get rid of the Q. It's, I, it's just pointless. So you can make you could just put a K there, and you would still see the K U and still mm-hmm. understand it to be a Q sound. Q can't even exist by itself without the U. I, I think. Only I in like pinyin, I think, and and uh, translating like and uh, transliterating uh, uh, Asian languages, the Q uh, um, indicates. Yeah, like then we'll just sound. make those. We'll just make those K's or yeah. CH's or something as well. Yeah, why not? Get out of here, Q. All right, nobody this has been, needs you, Q. This has been getting down and wordy with Russell. Down and, and wordy with it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we'll figure that part out too. Uh, We'll probably very soon make up a new email and such. So for now, don't mm-hmm. call us. We won't answer. Um, <laughs> catch us next week, though, and we'll talk about something else. And we don't know yet Absolutely. what it'll be. <laughs>